right. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Does anyone have a Bible ready? You vision ready? Notebook ready? I'm expectant this morning for the Holy Spirit to do something deep in our hearts. And what we are going to do this morning, we are going to continue on the topic that we started last week. Who was here last week? Who watched? <laughs> you honest? You better be here. <laughs> Who watched on YouTube? I'm not saying this because I preached a sermon, but I'm doing that because it's very helpful for you to follow along. We don't have time to go too deep into it, but I will do a short recap because I do think that it is important. But this subject of unity was something that the Lord really spoke to my heart during our fast, our 21-day fast last month. Was it last month? Where are we? Two months ago. Last month. We're in October. And on day 17, I read through the prayer in John 17 where Jesus was praying for the disciples. And he wasn't only praying for the disciples of that day, but he was also praying for everyone that was going to follow him in the years to come, in the centuries to come, in the decades to come. And Jesus prayed a prayer where he called the church to unity. Where he called the church and the believers and everyone that will ever believe in him to be one. And I want to read that scripture to you again. And it's in you version if you are following along on the electronic notes. You can also save those notes, make your own notes in there, whatever stands out to you. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak something specific to every one of our hearts this morning. He knows what I need to hear, and He knows what you need to hear. Amen? All right, well, why don't you turn to John 17, and we are going to read through that. It's on the screen as well. Let me just read it from the screen. It will be easier. All right, we're testing a few new things, so if you cannot see this too clearly, maybe the team can just hit the lights, or we can read through in... Your vision. John 17 verse 11 says, Jesus is speaking and he says, Now I am departing from the world. They, that's the disciples, you and I, are staying in this world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. And there's a next one. I think it is verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, and Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. So that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Why? So that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I love that scripture 
that the one thing Jesus could pray for us was our unity. And maybe the team can hit the lights again. Thank you. And obviously, if Jesus considered it important to pray, it must be important. If that's the one thing he chooses to focus on, then maybe we need to also focus on it. Who would agree? If Jesus thinks it's priority, we should think it's priority. And we said last week, what is biblical unity? Biblical unity is not uniformity. That is sometimes what we think that unity means. We all have to look alike. We all have to agree all the time. We all have to think the same way, do things the same way. Who knows that that's not the truth and that is impossible? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, all the married people say amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the married people today also. I feel like this is how the Lord has taught me the most about unity. Biblical unity is uniformity, not uniformity. It is oneness of purpose. Oneness of purpose. In other words, it is where we are in one mind about our mission. We're in one mind about the direction that we are going, about the mission that we are to accomplish. Oneness of purpose. That is biblical unity. And we spoke about the, some of the examples in the Bible, how unity can be used for good or unity can be used for bad. We spoke about the power that unity holds when people come together and they agree. It is probably one of the most powerful forces on the earth. Because we looked at the Tower of Babel and we looked at how all the people decided they wanted to build towers that were going to reach into the heavens because they wanted to make their name famous. And the Lord didn't want that because he told them that I want to scatter you all over the earth. And they decided, no, 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 we don't want to go with that plan. We want to build a name for ourselves. So the Bible says they united, they spoke the same language, they spoke the same words. And then the Lord came down from heaven, looked at what they were building, and then he said, look at these people, how united they are. Now, nothing will be impossible for them. So he had to intervene because he didn't actually agree with their plan. But it showed us how powerful unity can be when people agree. If you think back of bad examples of unity and how powerful it was, and I'm going to go there, apartheid. Do you think those, those leaders in apartheid were unified? They absolutely were. Do you think Hitler and all of his clan were unified in their mission? Absolutely they were. When people come together and they agree, Jesus also said, nothing will be impossible for you. But then we also saw how it can be used for good for God's kingdom. How he actually initiated unity and we looked at the early church. And how the Bible says that they were united. They were in one accord, which means they were in one mind. One heart, one mission. And because of that unity, because of that agreement, the Holy Spirit came down. Power from heaven was released. We also looked at Psalm 133 that says how powerful and how beautiful when people walk together in unity. And it speaks about the oil dripping down. There is an anointing that is released from heaven when people are in unity for God's purposes. So that was a recap. And then we said there were three things that hinders unity. 
And again, we said this is not only in the church, but this is also in our personal lives. This is also in our marriages. It's also in our businesses. It's in our schools. It's in our communities. It's in our nation. And we said that the three biggest hindrances, not the only things, but what I thought were some of the biggest ones that I've seen in the church, is number one, unforgiveness and bitterness. When we hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, it will actually block the anointing. It will block God's presence in our lives. It will block our ability to hear from Him. And it will actually open up a door for the enemy. Sickness, disease, all those things. Number two, hindrance to unity. Gossiping, slandering, grumbling and complaining. And we spoke about how gossiping and slandering and complaining when there's an undercurrent in any organization, any team, any family, that thing will spread like a wildfire among a group of people. And it will kill the unity. It will destroy the mission of what that team or that organization or that family is actually trying to achieve. It's one of the most dangerous things. And we spoke about, and we'll share this in our new members we share this everywhere we go, what Johannes and I do in this church. We will not tolerate gossip, grumbling, complaining. There's a healthy way to resolve conflict, and there's a healthy way to discuss things that are not right and that are not well. But we said something that I learned is, do not ever talk to someone without the authority to fix the problem. That will resolve a lot of that issue, that hinders to unity. Because Jesus said in Matthew 12 that every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And number three, hindrance to unity was self-focus and self-absorption. In other words, where we find ourselves in a place where it's all about me. Alles gaan oor my. Everything is about my way, my opinion, my ideas, my comfort, my this, my that. Me, myself, and I. That will kill unity. And we concluded that we all have a common enemy. When we find ourselves in a place of disunity, one of the most important things that we need to remember that the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6 is that we have a common enemy. Our enemy is not our brothers and sisters, even though they may irritate the life out of us. They are not the enemy. We need to understand that we have a spiritual enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy John 10.10. 10. And one of the biggest things that he wants to destroy in the church and in the family and in the workplace and in any place where there is any type of agreement is the unity. Because if he can destroy the unity, then he knows he can destroy everything. Because Jesus said a divided house will not stand. It will not stand. And he knows the power when we agree. He knows the power that we have when we can rise above our differences of opinions. And we can still stay in the same mind, the same purpose, the same mission, the same vision. Because the Lord actually said that when we are united as brothers and sisters in the kingdom... Nothing will be impossible for us. Amen? So that's just a recap of last week. 
So if we know what the problem is, the problem is the unity, then what can we actually do to then be in unity? So what, is, what are some of the proactive things? Because we can talk about the problems, and if you know me, you know that this really grieves me. We can talk about the problems for days. We can talk about the issues for days. I actually have a challenge when I'm in conversation with someone and all I hear is the problem. I'm very quick to be like, okay, have you prayed about it? Well, have you spoken to God about it? Well, what is the solution? Does God have an answer in the Bible? If not, can I teach it to you? <laughs> okay. How do we actually cultivate unity? And that is what I felt the Lord really stirred in my heart for the last couple of weeks since our fast, is speak to people about unity. Remind them in the season of where the world can probably not be more divided if it tried. The church can probably not more be more divided if we tried. This pandemic has sown so much division, especially in the church, like it actually makes you nauseous if you think about it. The church is so divided at the moment because of opinions, because of ideologies. Do you know what an ideology is? An ideology is something that I think. It's the way that a group or a culture thinks about certain things and then behaves. It has nothing to do with theology. And I actually wasn't planning on sharing this, but now I feel I have to share it. I did some research. There was research done, or I looked at some research that was done over the last two years of the COVID pandemic, particularly in the USA. And it's a group, they do lots of global research, and they were looking at the state of the church in the U.S., but particularly with regards to lockdown and the pandemic, and they were discovering that the church, not only are the church divided, probably the most divided it's been since the 60s, they say. I don't know how they get to that conclusion, but I just look around and I feel like that sounds right to me. And... They did research to find out why are people switching churches, particularly in a season like a pandemic, at such an alarming rate. And I think they looked at 10,000 different churches. So they've been doing this for the last two years. And they are releasing findings slowly but surely. And they found that one of the main reasons that people are switching churches in a season like a pandemic where you would think that when we go through hard times, we'll stick closer together, but instead we are dividing more, was because people are switching to go to churches that share in their ideology, not their theology. In other words, we've become more drawn to people who think like us, who reason like us, and they were also saying that where people are being discipled the most is through the internet. Now, I'm not against social media. I could Facebook, Instagram is great. But what is happening is a lot of people are looking to social media and the internet to be discipled, which really is in a, in a big way feeding my ideology more than my theology. Because social media is a platform where we share our opinions and our interpretations and our different things, not necessarily 
revealing the truth of Scripture. And so it's become an interesting transition for the church as a whole. That I would rather listen to someone that feed my ideology on the internet than I would listen to the pastor feeding me the truth of God's word. Where are we being discipled as the church? Because that is causing division in the body. And what we don't realize is that the internet works on algorithms. The internet actually works on if I've liked one article about the vaccine being the mark of the beast, okay? Now, it's going to feed me everything associated with that same topic. So, I'm feeding on the same things that feed that opinion, that feed that ideology, and I become so, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but I become so focused in on that thing that I actually lose track of the truth of God's word. And the danger when we lose track of the word of God and we feed ideology more than theology, theology means the study of God, that what is actually happening is we are beginning to divide. I've got an illustration, but I'll, I'll do it now. We begin to divide. We begin to lose focus of the actual call and the mission of the church, which is to be united. Why? Because Jesus said that when we are united, it will show a lost and broken world that the Father sent him and that he loves them. So when we are divided, it kills the purpose and the focus and the mission of the church. And then we wonder why people do not want to come to church. Why people do not want to listen to us when we want to share the gospel. Because they look at the fruit of the church. And the church has the loudest complaining voice on social media. They don't have the loudest voice for love. That's not all of it, but there's a lot of it going on. And so that's why we believe it's very important for us to talk about unity. And what does the word cultivate mean? I actually thought you could title, how do we, you know, how do we grow in unity? How do we build unity? How do we enforce unity? But cultivate was a word that really stuck in my spirit as I was preparing because cultivate actually means something that we labor for. Ne? The Afrikaans word is kweek. Who kweek ons eenheid. And I thought that was such a beautiful analogy because we're going to look at the way that the Apostle Paul described how we could cultivate unity. The word cultivate means tilling. The act of digging into or cutting up existing soil to better prepare it for planting. So there's a work, there's an active work at play for cultivating. It means to grow for, to care for, to improve by labor. Unity is not something we can create. It's something that we have to strive for through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I really want to focus on today. I said to the Lord, Lord, what is the one thing that we need to focus on on unity? And I felt all of these scriptures speak about the oneness in the spirit. Who is the one whose job it is to unite us as believers? It is the job of the Holy Spirit. But we have the job to partner with the Holy Spirit. We have the job to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will actually never be able 
to cultivate unity on our own. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want us to focus in Ephesians 4. There's a beautiful scripture that speaks on cultivating unity in the spirit. And when you go and do a little bit of Bible study, the Bible actually says, or scholars actually say, this is probably the most profound passage on spiritual maturity and spiritual unity in the Bible. And so the Apostle Paul spoke a lot about unity. He spoke to the Corinthian church. Yes, so. <laughs> that was a difficult church. The Corinthian church was a remorse. Okay, there were lots of problems in there. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, you can actually go and read how he actually came against the Corinthian church and he said, what is wrong with you? They were so divided over leaders. This one wanted to serve Paul. I was in the Paul camp. Okay, Paul the apostle, I is the mind kunain. Okay, if I only want to listen to Paul's sermons because Paul is the only one that can preach the word of God. He's the only one with an anointing. Then there was a second group, Apollos. Apollos was someone that actually helped Paul to plant the churches. And the second group, they only thought Apollos was the guy. Okay, we are in camp Apollos. And the other one, this one, and the other one, Peter, and the other one, Jesus. And Paul said, no, 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 you're missing the point. And he said to them, is Jesus divided? No. Then why are you dividing because of leaders within the body? That was the problem that he had with the Corinthian church. But the Ephesian church was a much more, shall we say, godly church. And he had a, a much kinder kind of response to them. I would more call it an appeal, an urge, that he called them to a place of unity. And he said, look, I want to remind you of this thing. Jesus actually calls you as the church to be united. He calls you as the church to be in this place of agreement about the major things, even if you disagree about the minors, that's okay. It's okay. We're all different. But he's actually calling you into one body for the mission and the purpose to reconcile the world to the Father. And I want to encourage us, church, if we don't understand this mission, if we don't understand this call to unity, we're actually going to miss the point. We're going to miss the point of our mission, and we're also going to miss the power of the anointing that the Lord wants to release to the church. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the church with no power. It's time to buckle up and it's time to release the power of God into our cities and into our nation, but we're not going to do it when we're divided. The Holy Spirit cannot anoint what is divided. And so I'm really passionate. I know Johannes is very passionate about this, so I'm just going to focus before I get too excited. Okay, let's go to Ephesians 4. Verse 1 to 6, and this is the main scripture that we're going to focus on, and I pray that the Lord will help me get through it, because that was just the intro. Okay, Ephesians 4. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Okay, we're going to camp there this morning. But I love that this is something that the Bible says that we cannot cultivate on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us cultivate unity. And I believe in this passage, Paul actually gives us five keys to cultivate unity. And again, these five keys is not just for us as a church, but it's for you in your marriage. It's for you in your relationships. It's for in your business, your teams that you lead at work. Wherever you are involved in, the Lord calls us to this place of unity. Number one, Paul said, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Church, I don't know if we realize this, but God has placed a calling on each of our lives. There is something that you were born to do that no one else on this earth can do. And for the church corporatively, all of our callings come together under the same ministry of reconciliation. Everything that you've been gifted with, everything that you've been called to do, has to do with reconciling a lost world to the Father. It's about reconciling the lost. I mean, do we agree on that? We are a church of unity. Okay, that, that word worthy, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In the Greek, it actually refers to something of equal weight. Of equal weight. So in other words, if this is the mission of reconciling a lost world to the Father, then we have to walk worthy in our lives, in our day-to-day of that mission. In other words, we cannot have a different talk than the way that we walk. When I tell the world on Facebook I'm a believer, I better live like a believer off Facebook. Joyce Meyer always speaks about the bumper sticker. Okay? If you are driving around in town with your bumper sticker, I love Jesus, I'm a fisher of men, well, does my actions actually match up to that? Am I living a life worthy of the call? Because Jesus actually called us not just to be in a peace fellowship with him, okay? He also called us to be in a peace fellowship with one another. He called us to be part of one body. One body. So when I am a thumb, I don't go walk around by myself. I mean, what am I connected to? You know, am I walking by myself or am I part of the body? If I have disunity in my physical body, it means I actually have an autoimmune disease where my body is attacking itself. So the same way that we are called to be a body in Christ, we have to learn how to function together. We have to learn that even though the thumb's function is different from the toe's function, they both have a function. And they have to work together. Because otherwise, you will walk around like looking strange. So we're called to be part of Christ's body and our walk 
should conform to our new position in Christ. When you go and read, remember we say scripture always interprets scripture. So now we read Ephesians 4, but the first three chapters of Ephesians speak about who we are in Christ. It speaks about our new identity as a child of God. Amen? And I want to encourage you to go and read through those scriptures. The first three chapters. The first three chapters, I want to encourage you to go and read through that because it explains what is our position in Christ and it explains what God has called us to do. And then he says, now therefore, now that you know your position in Christ, now therefore start to cultivate these things through the Holy Spirit. Our conduct as believers is not just about our relationship with the Lord, but also about our relationship and our responsibility to other believers in the church. And sometimes I think we think we can live our lives as individual people without the body of Christ. But you'll see that that is not actually conducive to unity. That is not actually helping the body as a whole to function. Because if you are missing, there's an integral part missing of the body. We, we just need to learn how to understand that and to find our place. Jesus said that we, or Paul said, that we are Christ's ambassadors on this earth. That's a scary thought. If you are the ambassador of something, that means you represent that something. So my actions and my conduct is actually representing the king of kings. It's a scary thought. And the world is looking at the church thinking, well, if you guys are representing God, then... God looks like a very confused God. He looks like a divided and angry God. He looks like a God that doesn't forgive. And I believe the Lord is not trying to condemn us. He's trying to nudge us into the direction, hey, I actually want you to represent me well. Because the mission is to attract other people to the love of Christ. But if we can't foster the love of Christ here, then what does the world see? What do they eat? Jesus said that by your fruit, you will be known that you are my disciples. By your love for one another. If we don't love one another, what does the world see? Jesus went to the fig tree and the fig tree had beautiful leaves. But when he lifted up the leaf, there was no fruit. Sometimes as Christians, we look beautiful on the outside, but there's no fruit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is missing. Peace, joy, love, gentleness, long-suffering, patience. <laughs> We're going to talk about that this morning. I better get there. I'm just having so much fun now that I have my hands free. Okay. So our walk was match up the talk. Jesus cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit. Okay, so number one, we need to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Number two, we need to cultivate humility. Verse two says, be humble. And the Amplified says, with all humility, forsaking all self-righteousness. And I believe it's interesting that this word humility was not actually a word that the Greek language had a proper description for. 
Because in biblical times, the term that they used was lowliness. And it was actually not a quality to be proud of. Lowliness or humility, humbleness, was something that only the slaves, because of their low position, lived. And so when Jesus came and he came with a humble heart and humbled himself, the Bible says, even to the point of death, it was a strange concept for a leader, for a king, to come in with a humble spirit, to come in with lowliness, to come in humble. Because it was not something that they lived by. But that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Humility means freedom from pride, freedom from arrogance. A quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. A low view of my importance. It's not saying I have to be, not think anything of myself. We need to be confident in who we are. We need to be confident and bold in who God has called us to be. But there's a difference between being prideful and being confident. Amen? And so Jesus is saying, I want you to learn from me. I want you to learn from the Holy Spirit how to let go of pride. Because pride is one of the things that is actually the root of all evil. Pride is the thing that kicked Satan out of heaven. He was a worship leader. Pride is what kicked him out of heaven. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall. And this is something that I heard one scholar say, and I thought this was so profound. He said, you will actually never be able to walk in humility unless you pray, study humility, pray, study humility, pray, study humility, pray, study humility. And I actually think this is something that the church especially if we're in a leadership position, especially if we're doing anything significant for the Lord and walking in our calling, we need to always pray, Lord, keep us of a place of humility. Keep us in a place of not thinking we're more important than anyone else. No matter our title, no matter our position, it doesn't matter. No matter our experience, it doesn't actually matter because Jesus came from his position. And if Jesus is our example, then that is what we need to strive for. Because when we live humble with one another, it will cultivate unity. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In humility, value others before yourself. So in other words, humility sounds like this. Humility says, it's not about me. So that goes completely against our nature, where everything is about me. Humility says, it's not about me. It says, I am not better than anyone else. It says, I will put others' needs and interests first. And it's a hard attitude that says serving others is far more valuable than my own life. When you rock up here, our team that rocks up at 7.30 on a Sunday morning, that is not a posture of pride. That is not a posture of what about me? Because they could ask what about me when they wake up at 6 a.m. 
They could ask, what about me, when they're running around and they also want to hear the word and they also want to be in worship, but they're downstairs serving the kids' church, serving someone else. That is a place of humility. And I'm using church as an example, but obviously, you know, you apply this for everything. It is an attitude that will actually require sacrifice. It'll actually require me to sacrifice something of myself for someone else. And when we live with that approach, and again, the Holy Spirit is the one that will help us to live like that, then it cultivates unity. Because it's immediately breaking down those barriers that pride normally puts up. Where if I'm only fending for myself, I'm only fending for my own interest, it actually breaks that spirit of unity. Does that make sense this morning? Sometimes it means stepping back and allowing someone else to take the credit when maybe you feel you deserve the credit. Knowing that actually the Lord knows what I've done. He's the one that will reward me. It's okay to not catch the shine all the time. Maybe it's celebrating the success of someone when they are recognized, even if I'm not recognized. Some things that the Lord has taught me about pride in my marriage. <laughs> One of the things the Lord has told me is that I don't always have to have the last word. Praise the Lord. Do I have any witnesses in the room? No, it's almost gone off the stick. Only Johannes. No, you're not allowed. I do not always have to have the last word. I really struggle with this because I do believe that I have a great point and I believe that I am right. And so what is the problem with that? Like it hinders unity. I do not have to have the last word. And it's okay to actually, in fact, it's actually very humble to admit that I was wrong, even if I was not. Ooh, puppy. I do do that. You want to say sometimes. We're all on a journey, guys, guys. Be the first to say sorry. Here's a great one for us ladies. We don't always have to share our opinion. Yeah, we don't always have to share our opinion. Okay. Another thing that the Lord taught me is that I don't always have to be Johannes' teacher. That was a huge revelation for me. Okay, sometimes in our marriages or in our relationships, one of us will be a stronger teacher than the other one. Okay, one of us, sometimes the guys like to do this. Your wife just wants to share her feelings. You want to fix it. You want to give a solution. She doesn't want a solution. She doesn't want the plan. Okay, she doesn't want a strategy. She wants you to just listen. Okay, just listen. Okay, it will promote unity in your relationships. Okay, number three, hallelujah. Cultivate gentleness. What is gentleness? The quality of being kind, tender, mild-mannered, softness of action or effect. The King James actually uses the word meekness. And I love this word because it actually means strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus was meek, but he's also the most powerful lion of Judah. 
Okay, meekness is strength under control. It's like a wild beast. The idea in the Greek is like a wild beast with all this power, but it's being trained. It's being tamed to have that power under control. This is what gentleness is, and God calls us to cultivate gentleness. It doesn't mean that we will never get angry. Because did Jesus become angry? Jesus became very angry when his temple, the house of the Lord, was being used to make a mockery out of the offerings and to steal from people and to fraud people and to do all these kind of things against his people. Jesus became angry. That's a righteous anger. All the Bible says is that as long as we don't sin when we're angry. But gentleness is something that the Lord wants us to cultivate because especially in what I see in the church is what comes out of our mouths. The area where we lack gentleness the most is in our speech. When you think about conflict, when you think about division, when you think about when there's fighting and there's disagreements and there's quarreling, what is the biggest problem when you're fighting? I can share this from our example. When Johannes and I have a disagreement, it happens. The thing that we end up fighting the most is the tone that we speak to each other in. We don't, we've actually forgotten about what is the thing that we disagree about, and now we're actually fighting about the way that we speak, the tone that we speak, the words that we use. And I think this is something that, that the Lord really wants to cultivate in us, where we have to surrender to the Holy Spirit's guidance to learn how to be gentle in our speech. It doesn't mean we cannot have strong conviction, we cannot have strong truth opinion, but how we communicate it actually overrides the content of what we communicate. I mean? And so I see this sometimes in our disagreements. Proverbs 15 verse 1. Proverbs 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer. What do we do when someone comes and they start to accuse us. And then it comes out of here. We feel like we have to start to defend ourselves. And that's where the problem comes in in our speech. And that's where we start to divide. Colossians says that we should season our words with grace, with gentleness. Because how we speak will often bring out the best in other people. And so this is, again, something that only the Holy Spirit can help us. Can we talk about confrontation just quickly? Who needs help in confrontation? I think all of us. Those who did not put up your hand, Okay, what is the problem when we are divided, when we are struggling with our unity, and we're trying to reconcile? We're trying to get back to the place of unity. Often there is a process missing in the middle that is called confrontation. And I know a lot of people, Johannes and I were also like this when we first got married, when we first started dating. We had to learn how to confront things that were bothering us. 
We have to learn how to deal with conflict in a healthy way in order to restore the unity. I mean, to restore the harmony of the relationship. And again, I'm now making fun of all the married folks, but it's in any relationship. It can be in your job. It can be in your business. It can be between, be between parents and children, you know, whatever. Obviously, this is for any relationship. But the Holy Spirit taught me this, that whenever I'm in a situation, and say, for example, Johannes and I are in, in a disagreement, or I see something that he's doing that I think, oh, no, we need to talk about that, or him with me, we've learned to first go to the Holy Spirit to soothe the emotions. Who knows that your emotions can run ahead of you? Now, the problem is that when we are in that heightened state of emotion and we then go straight into speaking, we will not be gentle, we will not be meek, we will not be kind, we will not be loving, we will not be any of that stuff because we will speak out of a place of emotion, out of anger, out of irritation, out of frustration. And I've really learned, and we're still growing on this journey, that the Holy Spirit once taught me, He said to me, just wait. Wait before you confront. Wait before you have that conversation. Go sit in the bathroom for two minutes if you need to. But just go and sit with the Holy Spirit and tell Him, Lord, just help me right now. <laughs> Give me perspective in this thing right now. Because our emotions flares up like fireworks. And this is what's destroying relationships. This is what destroys unity among people. And you ask the Holy Spirit to calm you down, to help you to breathe. Because in that moment, it gives your emotions time to just subside a little bit. You may still feel the same thing, but it's not in that heightened place where it gets dangerous. We see this when we talk through people in marriage counseling, in relationship counseling. This is communication, dealing with conflict, and dealing with this is one of the biggest challenges to cultivate unity. So what do we do? Three tips for confronting. First, we pray. I've learned it's never a good idea to just, when Johannes comes into the house, immediately download what's on my heart and every problem I now want to discuss. Especially if he was working you know, if your wife comes home and she's got to get the kids ready, there's a routine, she has to cook, she has to clean, she has to do all these things, not a great time to now have your conversation in lay now jou eier oor wat nou moet bespreek word. Pray first. Honestly, it seems like so simple and we all know it, but we don't do it. We see it in counseling. We don't do this. Okay? The first thing is we go, we said, we ask the Holy Spirit, Yeah. Give me wisdom. Lord, prepare their heart. But before you pray, prepare their heart, prepare my heart. What is the perspective that I need in this situation? Because regardless of how we feel, there is always two sides to a story. Always. Always, always, always. And so we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, show me the right time to have this conversation. Show me the right words for this conversation. And even when that person then retaliates, 
Because sometimes when we confront people and we share the truth, no matter how gentle and nice and loving, it can still be pressing on a wound in their heart. That might have nothing to do with the actual issue, but it's pressing on something that is bruised in their soul. But when we actually take time to sit with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can actually show us. How many times I've learned this through our pastor as well, where people in the church sometimes call up the pastor and very angry at what the pastor said last Sunday. But when you ask the Lord to show you what is actually the real hurt, what is actually the real thing beyond the natural, because remember, we're fighting a spiritual battle, a spiritual enemy. There is a wound somewhere at the back that's not coming to the fore. If you just look at the natural, what people say, it's not necessarily the actual hurt that we are dealing with. And so I don't have time to go too much into that, but the Holy Spirit is again our guide when we talk about humbleness and we talk about gentleness. He will give us the right words. He will give us the right perspective. He will help us to see what the Lord sees about someone. Amen. And I believe this feels like so foundation. I feel like I keep saying that. But these are the things we get hung up on. These are the things that steal. You know the Bible speaks about the little foxes that spoil the vine? These are the little foxes that spoil the vine. How we talk to one another. How we talk about one another. How we engage and deal with difficult things with one another. Jesus was our example. Even when he rebuked a broad correction, he always did it with a spirit of gentleness and softness and kindness. And here's a profound scripture for you. Go and read. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26. It said that a Lord's servant should be able to even correct opponents with gentleness. Why? Because then God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their knees. The kindness and the goodness of God will lead people to repentance. Not our harsh, conf harsh confrontations. It's the goodness and the kindness of God. So if we can allow the Lord to season our words, to season the hard conversations with grace, doesn't mean we excuse sin and different things. It just means how we handle it will have a better outcome and might actually bring people to repentance and they might actually apologize for the way they've hurt you. What I'm trying to get at this morning is this. The Holy Spirit is the one that will cultivate unity in our relationships. But if you and I are not going to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us before we have a conversation, to allow us to see what is actually going on in the spiritual realm, what is actually happening, what is actually the hurt behind someone's actions, then we're never going to be able to be that gentle person in the conversation. We're never going to be able to be that humble person in the conversation. Amen? Number four, we need to cultivate patience. I'm just going to read one scripture. This one is self-explanatory. <laughs> Proverbs 14:29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Proverbs 25, 15, and this is a great scripture that I often share with women when they come and we pray. 
the Lord really spoke to me about what is the mandate for us. And I'm talking to the married women especially. And if you're single, you can start preparing now already to pray for your husband. The biggest role for a wife is to pick up the mantle of prayer. I'm telling you, it'll cultivate unity in your marriage like you've never experienced. Our job is to pray. Proverbs 25.15 says that through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Passion says, use patience and kindness when you want to persuade leaders and watch them change their minds right in front of you. For your gentle wisdom will quell the strongest resistance. What I'm saying this morning is that the Holy Spirit will help us to a place of unity and to a place of harmony the way that our natural abilities will never do. We will never be able to walk in that without Him and allowing Him to do this. Number five, we need to cultivate love. And this is my last point. We need to bear with one another in love. 1 Corinthians 13, everyone knows this. Verse 4 to 7, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. What is the thing that Jesus said? Why do we need to be in unity? We need to be in unity as the church, as the body of believers, so that a broken world can experience the love of the Father. And that love is the agape love, which is a self-sacrificial love. It means we allow the Lord to love us to a place of wholeness so that we are able to love others that He sends on our path. So we need to cultivate love. Because if we do not have love and we don't have unity, then the church will have no mission. Then the church will not be effective. The church will not have power. Our families will be in disarray. Our marriages will be in disarray. And the world will look at the church and think, who is this God that you are talking about? And so really this morning, all we spoke about was the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul was saying to the Ephesian church. He said, look, you cannot cultivate unity on your own. You cannot cultivate unity in your own strength. Okay, you cannot resolve conflict and deal with all of our different personalities and our different functions because that's why we were created differently. You need the body to function as one. And the glue that's going to hold you together is the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for some people this morning, and I want you to just close your eyes as we end the service this morning in the Lord's presence. The Bible says that love is our highest calling. Love is our highest calling. And I believe that this call for unity, first of all, starts 
It's a call from the Father to unite His children back to Him, to come back into that place of relationship, to become one with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask this morning if there is anyone here in this room and maybe you grew up in a Christian home and maybe you grew up in, you know, going to church and you just kind of grew up as a Christian with the label Christianity. But you don't actually remember there was never a point in your life where you made a decision to follow Jesus with your whole life, to actually surrender your life to his leadership. If there is anyone here this morning and you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to let us know so we can pray for you. We're not going to call you out. We'll pray with you after the service. But if there's anyone here, then I want you to just raise your hand. Because sometimes we can believe that we are saved, but we've never actually made that decision. We've never actually fully surrendered our life to Jesus. And that actually starts by going through what we call repentance. Repentance means I'm actually turning completely from my old life. I'm not staying in the same place. I'm not doing the same things. I actually make a very bold and courageous decision to follow Christ. And then I want to pray for a second group of people. And I want to pray for people this morning who feel like you're in a place where you actually struggle with strife in your life. You struggle, maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it is someone in your business, in the church, wherever. And you're struggling with either a major disagreement or there is constant strife in your life. There's just always bickering, disagreements, fights, disunity. We want to lay some things down this morning. And I believe that the Holy Spirit really wants to minister to people His love and His grace to give you the power to get out of that place of strife. But it's going to start with us actually surrendering. Jesus didn't wait for us to be perfect. He first surrendered himself. And if we want to find ourselves in a place of unity, then it's going to start with us as individuals. It doesn't help that we wait for the other person. We have to start with us. We are responsible for us, for our hearts. And if that is you this morning, I want you, while everyone's eyes are closed, I want you to just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. If there is constant strife in your life, disagreements, fighting, quarreling, and I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to pray for those that I saw, but I don't want to call you out in front of everyone. And what I want to do that when we stand and when we pray, I want you to come with a heart posture and first understand what you are praying for. What we are going to pray for this morning is we are going to repent for our contribution, whatever it is, 
in contributing towards strife, in contributing towards a disagreement. And then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet us at that place. At that place of repentance where we come and say, Yara, ek is jammer. Ek is jammer vir my aandeel hier. Vergewe my. And as we receive His forgiveness, we're going to ask Holy Spirit to strengthen us afresh. To fill us with His love. To fill us with the spirit of gentleness. To fill us with the spirit of humility. And then we're going to surrender and say, Holy Spirit, I want to surrender to you every single day because that's what it's going to take. It's not a one-time prayer and now I'm suddenly super Christian with all the fruit of the Spirit. We wish it was that simple. It means that every day we are going to have to seek the Holy Spirit in every relationship. We are going to have to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in every situation that we are in. And then if we want to see the fruit manifest, we have to be obedient to His voice. We can't ignore the Holy Spirit and then want to see the fruit in our life. I mean, why don't you stand this morning and we're going to end in prayer. And I want you to really focus in on the Holy Spirit. Come with your whole heart this morning. Father, I thank you for every person raising their hand this morning. Lord, saying, Father, we know we've missed it in this area. Lord, we are tired of strife in our life. We're tired of struggling with disagreements. We're tired of struggling with fighting and quarreling. And Lord, we want to bring our hearts before you this morning. And I want you to just repeat. Why don't we just repeat it as a group prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. I thank you for your love. Thank you for reconciling me to the Father. And I ask you today to help me to also be your ambassador, to reconcile others to your love. This morning I want to repent for my contribution in any strife, in any disagreement, in any fighting that I've experienced. Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit, with your fire, with the fruit of the Spirit. And I thank you that the seed is in me Help me to walk in your ways every day. Open up my spiritual ears to hear your spirit, to guide me, to instruct me, to correct me, to love me, so that my life can display your fruit to a world that needs it. In Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that I can just pray over every person in this room, Lord, and that we can come together this morning. And Lord, we can ask that you help us to cultivate unity. 
Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to cultivate unity, not just in our own lives, in our own personal relationships, Lord, in our marriages, in our workplaces, Lord, in our community, but also in our church. Lord, we want to be a church that displays the power of your love, the power of humility, the power of gentleness, the power of your grace, so that we can see a lost world come back into reconciliation with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand our mission, to understand that we are one body. Lord, help us to recognize each other's gifts, Lord. Help us to recognize each other's contributions. And I pray, Lord, that we would follow your Holy Spirit, that we will allow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to be our guide every single day so that we can be carriers and ambassadors of unity. We pray that you would have your way through our church and through every single person in this room and those who are watching online. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom will come on this earth. You are busy doing incredible things. Lord, that the lost will come home. They will experience the love of the Father. We will see growth and peace and reconciliation in our relationships, Lord, as we submit to you. And we thank you, Lord, that nothing that you say, no word that you have given us will ever return void. It will always accomplish what it has been sent forth to accomplish. So, Lord, I bless our church. I bless every relationship. I bless every marriage. I bless every business in this place. And we thank you for your goodness and your kindness in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.